Hi there, this is Dawn Dancing Otter. Thanks for listening. This is the Witch's Diagnostic, and if you're interested in helping to support us to create more content, please sign up through our Patreon account at the Witch's Diagnostic on patreon.com. And you can sign up for as little as $5 a month up to $15 a month with special content uploaded on our Patreon account for those $10 and $15 subscribers. Thanks so much for listening and for your support. This recording is taking place on Lekwungen traditional territory. These are the traditional homelands of what are known now as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. This is unceded and stolen land, and I am a settler. And my hope is that I continue to learn, to grow, and to do my best to walk in a good way on these lands. Welcome to the Witch's Diagnostic with your host, Dawn Dancing Otter. And today I am interviewing the delightful Alicia Flecky from Northern California. I'd love to welcome you, Alicia, and uh, give you some space and time to talk about who you are and what you do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Don. I'm so grateful to be here on this podcast and so excited to talk with you today. Um, so I work as a coach with individuals using mostly Hakomi method, um, and I also offer retreats. Generally, those are women's retreats in um, Sardinia and India and more places hopefully soon across the globe. And uh, I'm just really happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy that you're here, Alicia, and that you were so uh, responsive when I asked you to do this. Um, some people are like, the witch is what now? <laughs> and your, your answer was just, yes, I'd love to. And that was really uh, delightful for me. Oh, yeah. So um, there's no doubt when yeah. it comes to witches. I want to I hang out with the witches. Me too. I'd much rather hang out with witches than princesses <laughs> any day of the week. Although there's some witchy princesses there is, out there. Yeah, sure. you can kind of blend them a little bit. The reason I asked you to be on this podcast is because I read on a, a fellow, like a mutual friend's uh, Facebook profile, a post that you put up like a month ago. Um, and the topic that you covered in lots of different ways was about, I feel, creating a connection to the spirit of discernment mm. within. Mm. And that's my summary. Mm. Um, that's the medicine that I received. Mm you probably have a different description. That just gave I mean. me chills. Medicine <laughs> I like that. I like your medicine that you got out of it. Oh. What I feel might be a good step in the direction of, of uh, having a conversation about the post is to read some mm -hmm. of it. Um, would you, would you be so kind? Yes, absolutely. I would love to. Um, yes. So just maybe a brief intro. This is something I posted uh, around January 8th, 2021, uh, it was just after the, um, the uh, Capitol building uh, insurrection. And the title is On Spirituality and Conspiracy. <clears throat> and I start off saying with a little asterisk, 
Um, this is not intended to trigger. I just want to voice my experience. So it begins, uh, in 2010, I first began hearing about reptilians in the highest level of government, the Queen of England and celebrities drinking baby's blood while performing satanic rituals. These were common conversations for travelers and seekers who had left the mainstream life in countries such as India, Thailand, Bali, and Brazil. And it was exciting to talk about these new, these ideas and dream up all the ways that it made sense. It was a riveting answer for something undefined that I had been feeling. And I'm giving some bullet points as to what that feeling was, that something was wrong with the mainstream, that we somehow weren't being told the whole truth, that there was a dark force somewhere on this planet intending to do harm, that life could be better than the options I was presented with. I spent a few years learning about and exploring these theories. They eventually died out from my mind as there was never any evidence beyond symbolic interpretation, exciting rabbit hole theories, and this feeling that I knew something that others didn't or that I had seen beyond the mirage, that I was special. Conspiracy theories often become popular because they fit a feeling many have that something isn't quite right, that the whole truth is not presented, and that those in power cannot be trusted. Um, these are valid feelings within an authentic spiritual context. Many ancient traditions speak of the great illusion, uh, Maya, Samsara. In nearly every mystical tradition, traditional practices and often lifelong disciplines can help one to glimpse it, this uh, Maya or the Samsara, to glimpse it and eventually abide beyond this illusion we often have a sense of the darkness inside of us, which seems to hold us back from some kind of truth. Most religions offer a savior for this, but it seems many these days are opting to ride this path without a guide or with the guide being their community. This sacred capacity has been severely distorted as spirituality has run amok in our generation. White privilege emboldened with appropriation and sprinkled with a good old-fashioned American capitalism has created some really outrageous and damaging scenes in the name of spirituality. I generally err on the side of caution after my experiences in this realm. So, no, I don't think you've awakened your third eye. And no, I don't think you're channeling messages. And no, I don't think you give a real shit about love and light. And no, I don't think you know what is really happening at the highest levels of governance. I think you are living in a fantasy, just as I did. And I'm actually one of these people who actually think all of these things are possible. Opening the third eye, channeling messages, communication with the spirit world, and especially experiencing love and light. I just don't think most people who think they are doing it are actually doing it. Sorry, reality check. Or it can be the case that they've occasionally touched something, but it is not sustained. Inspired by their brief experience, they leave behind basic consideration of others and or just being a decent human being in exchange for a new identity as enlightened or woke and on a different level. The new age spiritual world needs social structure and affirmation to survive. So at a point, we have to stop affirming it. The modern fantasy of spirituality unhinges our rigid ways of thinking 
to put us a bit outside of our habitual box. The blessing of this is the wide open potential and possibilities of our freed minds. The curse is the loss of discernment. I want to see those in spirituality return to this atrophied muscle discernment. It's your friend, not an enemy. We need it to navigate the material world with accuracy and relative truth. And I think I might just pause there. There's much more, but I want to unpack it as we go and not overwhelm the listener too much. Um, and that's a lot <laughs> already. Um, when you wrote that piece, what was going on for you? If you wouldn't I would love to. Um, it was, I think, two days after the Capitol insurrection, <clears throat> which affected us so much um, in America and around the world. And it began, I began to see this image over and over of this QAnon shaman guy who was the one with the horns and like the Viking outfit and sat at the head of the, um, he was sat, sitting at like the head of the Capitol Senate chamber or something. But, um, and then I began to hear more about this guy that he was talking about how he had opened his third eye and he had, um, he was channeling messages and that Trump was the savior of the world. And I just, something flipped in me and I was like, I have to fucking say something. Like I cannot, this isn't like, now it's too far. Now it's too far. I have to do my part and fucking say something because that really was, that to me is like, that that man symbolizes the end like that's where you end up if you don't use discernment you're going to end up in an insurrection wearing a viking helmet infiltrating the capitol building <laughs> and um mm -hmm. and it was sad and it and it's the it's just it just needs to be realigned it just needs to be identified and recognized and um i felt like also for all of the people in the us and in the world also <clears throat> who don't have any experience with spirituality. They don't know what the third eye is. They don't know what um, channeling means or anything like that. And then they see a guy like that come in. It's going to turn them off so much more from anything alternative or anything mystical. And that is another loss, a huge loss for our country. Um, so I felt like I needed to do my part based on my experience to say, okay, look, for the people that I'm connected to on Facebook or wh wherever, whoever's going to read this, let me just say my experience with this because I've dabbled maybe in some ways in the in a general direction or kind of touched on certain things that maybe this QAnon shaman has gone into. Um, but he's a distortion of what it can actually be and what what it is at, in its best form. Um, so I, I did it to align, you know, to uh, hopefully help allow for some alignment in people's minds about what spirituality is and how conspiracy theories work with a spiritually inclined person as well. I don't know how close to reality what is being reported to us is in the sense that, you know, the, the sexiness of stories is usually, usually wins out, you know, over the reality of stories and certainly, you know, a bare chested Viking wearing kind of representative human uh, with, you know, his makeup and charging in uh, to the Capitol building makes for good press for sure. Um, and the whole event itself, you know, there mm -hmm. were people that died. Mm -hmm. He took up a lot of space, but there were people that died. 
and were folk who were guarding the capital that were deeply injured from you know the the violence of the crowd there were people within the crowd that died and um you know at the head of it they've kind of got this cartoonish character that you know got all the press and and I thought that was so mm. disturbing to me but also and up here in Canada we certainly do have folk that believe that the core of themselves that Donald Trump was saving you know the planet from all kinds of like dark pedophilia and all of that stuff and the thing that really had to sit in grief of is that all the things that they're afraid of you know the trafficking and pedophilia and conspiracy at high levels uh, mind control mm-hmm. all that stuff exists you're either forced to kind of like follow the narrative mm-hmm. as it's presented or be ridiculed i talked to so many people that are concerned so concerned mm-hmm. at where we are for lots of those same reasons but not kind of bought into the the tail end of it where they think mm-hmm. there's a savior coming or or there is a savior and that you know and that savior is dressed like fascism mm-hmm. but it isn't fascism and, and all of all of that piece you know that um or that indeed voting differently mm-hmm. is going to solve those problems like there there is actually like we're glad things went the way they did uh uh just because like voting for something that's openly fascist is uh, like a giving it mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. mandate i do believe that the fascism still exists and it's unfortunately going to mm-hmm. get a different window dressing uh, people who don't have the palette for fascism designed mm-hmm. in that way right and so so much realness to why people are so afraid there's so much realness so much real grief in feeling powerless and it so much hope that wants to happen in rising like having a mm-hmm. hero and uh yeah that's yeah. so well said mm-hmm. it's so well said it, we're almost getting an inside view of how fascism happens it's like oh that's how it happens when when mass amounts of people all get behind one fascist leader that's how it happens we're witnessing it here in the u.s um and you're right as well that these things do exist and then they go underground um in some way it was more exposed with trump um but i what stands out to me especially is this point about um looking to a leader because that's a whole other maybe a whole other facebook post or a book one day because we have this really deep need and i think it's based on our judeo-christian roots that are in our subconscious whether we like it or not that we really want someone to save us we like desperately looking for that outside source and typically it's a man you know who's going to save us mm-hmm. and i i live that very um directly um this is not was not included in that post but i'll just briefly say here i i had an experience with a guru that i followed for about 7 years in india and after 7 years it it just it dissolved the entire spiritual community dissolved around this one man so i lived that experience of really really thinking that that I was going to be saved and then in some way you know in some capacity because I was having amazing experiences and like you know it it's similar in a weird way it's similar to QAnon and I've been reading some of the um the testimonials of people who after seeing that Trump you know that the inauguration happened and that there was some disappointment and a lot of um 
right, far right individuals who were believing QAnon and really believed that Trump was going to break that inauguration up somehow. And then when they saw that it happened, they got disillusioned and really began to kind of wake up from this idea and start to see like, oh, my God, I really thought Trump was saving us. And like, this is such a natural tendency in Westerners like that, especially have any kind of Judeo-Christian roots or connections from that culture at all. Like it is it's not anything to feel bad about yourself or feel ashamed of. It's so natural. It's it's our it's in our psyche. And in in a weird way, at least in my experience, I felt that I had to live it out. I had to sort of see Jesus in a man, in a human man, and then go beyond that and realize that that that's just doesn't that um, that template doesn't actually work in for me. And I think mm. more and more people are beginning to realize that, honestly, in, in our generation, in our era is like it's like kind of definitive of the times. It's like we don't have we don't need to maybe look for a savior anymore outside of ourselves. You know, very parental. Um, and I, I mean no disrespect to anyone who identifies mm-hmm. um, as Christian or um, or or you're Jewish. I have no, you know, I mean no disrespect. And you keep around mm-hmm. having someone come and save you. So mm-hmm. anti-nature that it just actually is such a bizarre, it's not anti-nature, <laughs> it's just weird. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's, it's like humans becoming that hierarchical, I'm going to mm-hmm. stand at the top of the pyramid mm-hmm. and everything serves me. So it all flows upward when the reality is that nature doesn't work like that. Nature is a slow ebbing and flowing. Seasons move in a slow ebbing and flowing. Um, you might have, you know, today in in um, Victoria, it's beautifully warm and sunny and uh, mm-hmm. we're coming out of our winter but this lapping of spring at the shoreline of winter and, and the release of the shoreline of winter that we move into when we come into springtime, this is slow. Mm. It's not immediate. And, you know, it's the same thing as, mm. as moving through day to night. There is a slow shift and change of the quality of light, the quality of darkness. And this idea that we're going to get that we very rarely get lightning strikes, you know, that change things immediately. And those things are special and noted, but it's not really something that happens on the regular. Mm-hmm. I mean, we couldn't live like that. That idea that, that lightning is going to strike yeah, us yeah, and I everything love that is going comparison. to change. Yeah. When things immediately change, usually there's some mm-hmm. level of destruction that follows. Um, and mm-hmm. I was raised in a very Christian home. And so... I was raised to not to to only be a responder and a receiver mm. as a female in a female body. That I'm I'm a responder and a receiver to the will of whatever masculine force is in charge. Mm-hmm. So we're going in that direction. Like I, mm-hmm. I was taught not to be a leader. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> I was born also raised in a very Christian family as well. Yeah. 
pursuing a master's in leadership. So so interesting how (laughs) things come around. Um, But, uh, and I, and I am, I'm a leader, I'm a ceremonial leader and, you know, I'm a leader in my life. But in order for me to step into that role as a female in a feminine body in a kind of way of being, the, what I meet with is this like, well, what, are you fish or fowl? Like what's, what's your form? Even now it's like, you know, where is your inherent masculinity Mm. if you're going to step into leadership and relate it back to your, to your sharing about Christianity, Mm. this idea of a savior and we're at the will of, you know, we're Mm. at the will of that lightning striking, however destructive it might be, sustain the consequence of the impact of it. And that somehow that we have no choice there. My feeling is that when we look into pre and mm. that the savior is masculine, is male, and that and that the receiver, the people mm. of of leadership, mm. most of them are matrifocal. Most of them are, you know, most of them come come to their political decisions through eldership and and through through the crone council. You know, they they don't leave all of their their ideas to those who will go to war ideas of going to war are really sexy Mm. for those who like conquest and like like to Mm. colonize and like to conquer and that if we if we come from a place of like is it reasonable Mm. to do so fire what's our reason for that then we come back into nature Mm. what's nature's (laughs) reason to do anything nice nice i love that wow it's so beautifully Mm -hmm. said and I love this comparison or like this union between nature and our spirituality. Like what would our spirituality look like if it were in somehow reflective of the cyclical nature, you know, of nature um, and same in the political realm, what would it look like if we, and if our leadership also, um, you, you began to touch a little bit on feminine leadership and like, you know, it's kind of valid to ask the question, is there such a thing that might be the first perspective someone comes with when they realize that most leadership is a masculine, somehow a masculine expression, so to speak. Um, And then what, what does it look like? What does, Mm -hmm. what is, how does the feminine lead, you know, the feminine in us, the feminine in all bodies, uh, looking to nature is such such a good way to do that. I love I love those comparisons you made. It's beautiful. I feel like masculinity mm-hmm. is a penetrative force, you know, and and not just that men are masculine or even that women are feminine. You know that we have this incredible mm-hmm. capacity to yes. hold both of those energies, all of us, do. and that we create third things through those energies. The third thing of of who. Mm-hmm who you you walk in the world through those two forces right and and that to be penetrated i believe is is a powerful thing and one must wield it mm. with a lot of responsibility because if one is not wielding that force with a lot of responsibility it's like the lightning strikes you mm. know it might strike the forest set the forest on fire and then and then might set everything mm. else on fire right so that's the piece and the responsibility of like the people when it regards that lightning does strike 
you know, in nature, lightning does strike sometimes. What are we willing to prepare ourselves for that eventuality? You know, mm. to me, that is the feminine force, right? That feminine force of like, how do we prepare for the eventuality of lightning striking? In terms of leadership, one has to really hold both mm. of those things with a lot of care, you know, to be able to have the foresight of like, what happens when? And to be able to be penetrative mm -hmm. in the moment yeah. where it requ is required. Yeah. I also love this um, idea you brought up of the council, the crone council. And it's so true, like looking to our elders and also not just, maybe not just one person, but like a, a committee, a, a community um, that we can, we can look to for, you know, direction and vision and, um, I really wish, I wish we had that politically, that in our structure. And I've heard recently, um, I haven't done the research on this, but I, I heard recently that um, our, the, our, the founding fathers in America actually based some of their structure on what the indigenous were already doing. And there was a council of elder women, mm -hmm. grandmothers, that they would go to to make ultimate yes or no decisions on things and that morphed into the supreme court interestingly yeah i don't want to say that i Whoa. there was a tribe that i heard that it was but i would want to double check the details on it but um it was the a tribe in the new york area and um you know how how amazing would it be if we had a council of grandmothers today to in each state you know in america or even at like the heads of governance to just you know consider issues and what's best for us like yeah i'm definitely a fan of that idea <laughs> i'm getting you know very titillated at the thought of having <laughs> like grandmother councils in every state so <laughs> very titillated i'm envisioning again this this happens so much in our world that like exactly the thing that is um the most disregarded it's actually has the most inherent value we're just not seeing it so like Elder elders in society, and especially mm. elder women, are so disregarded. They're not in the, the light. They're not featured. I mean, it's very, it's taken ages for Hollywood to really be featuring older women. And, um, and it, here we are right now talking about that might be one of the best things for this planet is to have a council of grandmothers, you know, like the 13 grandmothers that, um, that already exist. And um, it's just so funny how, how that happens so many times. The very thing that is the most disregarded is actually what exactly what we need. It's like the healing balm of our planet that we're just not seeing at a collective level. In fact, it was the intention of earlier and present day colonizing forces to not just mm. disregard it, but to actually silence it mm. and, and permanently silence it. Um, and that you know, the destruction of indigenous people, the destruction, not just indigenous people, but the cultures, the languages, you know, the language being a big thing, you know, that churches in Canada uh, decided to create these residential schools uh, to basically kidnap and put the First Nations children through a process of taking the, quote unquote, taking the Indian out of the Indian. And so in those schools, those children were horribly abused and also they were not allowed to speak their language.
Witches Diagnostic Podcast will return in just a moment. Did you know that you can support this work as a community member through patreon.com, the Witches Diagnostic, for as little as $5 a month? Your contribution will help to make sure that we continue to produce these weekly podcasts with great community leaders, healers, and bards, poets, and artists. Thanks for joining us today. That's kind of kind of exactly what happened, I think, with QAnon, um, that these are real issues that we're kind of just taken advantage of. Um, and I don't think that president former president did anything to to stop it he was it just kind of it started happening and i think he just said oh great i'll get more voters and he just you know allowed it to happen but um but they're very real issues you know child sex trafficking and there's so many i mean yeah they are very real issues but i agree that um it's gonna i i do i 100 percent believe and always will um, have hope for that change to happen. And maybe even in my lifetime, um, I will never let go of that hope. And I do think that there's a lot of um, change happening and that um, it, will, it will happen in an organic way at a collective level, but we're gonna have a lot of <laughs> mess <laughs> until that actually, that change can actually take place at a, mm-hmm. a mass you know, mainstream level. But um, but I do, I do hold a lot of hope for that. And, um, also thank you so much for what you shared about the schools in Canada and, um, my God, I've heard so much about those and it's so sad. And this point on language as well, um, is such a loss. It's like a loss of human heritage, a way of seeing the world that we'll never get back and wisdom and beauty that we'll never know because those the words and that way of expressing is gone you know when you lose a language and uh that was really touching to hear you talk about that a little bit it is a huge tragedy um yeah so i just wanted to speak to that a little bit and the position that so many of us are in that are western and descended from colonists or you know, are not indigenous here in North America and learning to reconcile that truth of like, you know, my family line severed its own roots. It did at a point. And I had, we, even strangely enough on both my mother's and father's side, they changed their last name at a point. They just completely changed the last name. So there was an actual, like in the language, even severing of our roots. And that rootlessness, I think, that many of us carry without, maybe without even realizing it, um, helps feed the tendency to join in a movement like QAnon or in like, you know, a movement that has a savior because um, you want to identify with something so badly and you don't even know it. And I think that's, that's also why it's been so hard to break this sort of American idealism and this American identity, and you just hear the indigenous here in the States, you know, and also the black community coming up and, and for, you know, for decades, centuries, trying to get their voice heard. And it's so hard to break that American, um, the white American uh, ideals. And I think it's because in part of they've already severed their roots, so they cling desperately to what's artificial. 
there's a wonderful author I highly recommend, uh, My Grandmother's mm-hmm, Hands, mm-hmm. Resma Menikin, who does embodied um, racial trauma work, and mm-hmm. it helped mm-hmm. me a lot. And uh, yeah, he's he speaks to a lot of like the roots of this and how this works. But um, yeah, it, it's I discovered my own rootlessness, and I and I it was very hard, very hard to see and admit to myself. And that rootlessness is also fed by just like you kind of mentioned earlier, just like the difficulty in knowing what's true these days, you know? It's not the easiest time to be alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's not. It's complex. Yeah. It's not. It's very complex. And and how people move through it is so interesting because the response of complex to complexity mm. I'm finding really fascinating. Um I was listening to someone uh, bitch about, (laughs) uh, and I'm just saying, I'm saying bitch with respect, but you know, Mm. that was the context, right? It wasn't like a therapeutic context. This person was bitching about how Mm. every, like millennials Mm. just talk about their trauma all the time and expect everyone, expect everyone to like trip over their, you know, their, their triggers and, and to look out for them and walk on eggshells. And I was like, huh. You know, what's really cool about what you just said is that what it speaks to is lots of layers. Like I'm 50. So when I was younger, we didn't have this context of trauma. In fact, if you had mental illness or if you had emotional instability, if you were dysregulated in some way, if you were like, you know, if that was going on for you, you just didn't ever talk about it at any, like, unless you were extreme. Mm -hmm right? You didn't talk about trauma. You only ever talked about like, uh, Mm -hmm. you only ever talked about like your feelings, like having hurt feelings, but you never really talked about things that you're carrying. And to the point where people who are my age, when they talk about things that happen to Mm. those children, some of us are talking about it for the first time. So uh, it does appear that way that millennials are talking a lot about trauma, Mm -hmm. but they're talking about trauma because they get to, because because we we need to, because that's how we heal it, right? And I think, wow, so the, the complexity, our answer to complexity is can we offer healing to it uh, in a and, and respecting its complexity? Complexity is being the norm rather than mm. the binary mm. is the norm, which is either like you're okay or you're not okay. And um, and I see how we're moving into, mm-hmm. you know, using mm-hmm. form like somatic work, using form like um, trance state work, which is very old, using form that is more mm-hmm. um, ecstatic, using plant medicines in an ecstatic mm-hmm. way in order for us to address complexity. And and the more the more I just hear people talk about, you know, when we were young, because I mean, when I was young, not like <laughs> yeah. this world would have seemed very bizarre in in mm. the way. And I mean, what I do for a living would be very completely bizarre to me in the context of being a child. The only, you know, we didn't have coaches. We didn't have. We didn't have people that coach us through processes. We didn't have people that took us from through like uh, a transformational process. We had psychologists that helped to analyze us. 
And I'm not, not making that wrong. I'm just saying like, that's one way of looking at it, but it's not very complex. It's like, well, if you need it, you, you're going to go talk to one of these individuals um, who has a degree for an hour a week, rather than you're, you're going to plug into your community in a way that says, you know what, I know I have a mm. purpose and I'm ready to step into it. I just don't know how. And I'm a complex human and I mm. have lots of things yeah. going on that I, I don't know what to do with. So I feel like what a world, when we step into this complex mm. world, you know, I want people to celebrate that. We just, we, we have this now, we get to do that. We get to be the people mm, we needed that. when we were kids. Actually, I love that word, that we are, that we are somehow ready uh, in humanity mm. to make trauma part of the mainstream conversation and recognize we all have trauma, you know, and this element of getting into the somatic work, into the body is so valuable. I, I really feel that that has taken many generations to be safe enough, you know, and through um, technologies like yoga, for example, which is become so common and popular but it, i think it was also helping people just to begin to get in tune with their body in a in a more you know the, the mainstream able to feel and you know have you been in a yoga class and you just start crying and you don't know why so we're starting to admit and and reckon the fact that the mm -hmm. body is really an amazing gateway and um you know those who are who are not interested in exploring trauma they might, um, you know, not value certain embodied practices and stuff like that. Um, because the body, is, when you begin to face the body, you do often begin to face those first layers. It can be very difficult, very difficult. And I do hope that um, mm -hmm. we can socially give more support to people that are doing that work because it, it is, it is admirable and it is difficult. And it is something that when we look to um, previous generations, we often don't see that someone was there doing it because it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't available. Yeah. 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 There was zero language around it from in, in my youth, you know, this idea of somatic, it's mm. been the idea of somatic experiencing or mm. somatic healing. It's been around for longer than my lifetime, but it hasn't right. ever really, like, I didn't know it existed. You know, <laughs> I was a dad, I was a dancer and I taught, I've been teaching yoga for about 30 years now, you know? And so my, my piece of like <laughs> yoga, yoga was like something Madonna did when I was, you know, when I was coming up and into it, it was like something that the celebrities had caught, caught a hold of and were creating this, you know, yes, this is spiritual. Yes, this is physical, but mostly it was performative. Like mostly it was performative mm. not, and, and then you got a little bit of that other stuff. So hopefully you stuck with the performative nature of it through the, mm. the initiatory process where you start getting deeper than that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, speaking you of languages as well, it's kind of just like a language. That's how uh, I feel it. Like somatics and the body. It's like, it, if you, if you speak that language, it will, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like learning a language, let's say that at first it can just be very confusing and you feel completely lost. You have no idea what's going on. You might feel overwhelmed, but over time you learn the language also of the body 
And uh, I really feel we are so blessed, like so blessed that these technologies and these methods are um, making their way into the mainstream. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to uh, share the rest of your yes, post. Yes, Alicia. I'd love to. Um, and um, if okay, you have so time. where we left off was discernment. And the last thing I said was we need that discernment to navigate the material world with accuracy and relative truth. And then I go on to say the material world is not here to hurt us either. It might actually be God's favorite hiding place in the simplest, most boring moments. I do believe there are dark forces at play here on planet Earth, but they are a lot less fantastical, in my opinion, or exciting than Tom Hanks eating babies. It's more like the ignorance, hatred, separation, anger, envy, and fear that lives inside every one of us. That's where we can actually start. I left the so-called spiritual path I was on in 2018. I since returned to mainstream America where I got a waitressing job and hustled to afford my apartment in LA. No more social conversations about love and light. No more addictive and endless shadow work. No more leaving this world in order to find the next. Just me here now, living inside the mainstream. And you know what? I found out that I was not any better than anyone else, despite all of the years of spiritual work I had done. I was snapping at my coworkers and fighting over the good tables. Those of you who never worked in service industry, yeah, this is totally a thing. I, it is such a thing. I, I'll never forget that moment too. And I was, I was literally, I was at this waitressing job in uh, Marina Del Rey and I was like fully in fights over tables. And it, it just hit me like, where's all that spiritual stuff I was doing for like almost 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. And it just shows me as well how context plays such a huge role. We can really be, put ourselves in spiritual communities and feed a certain part, like feed that spiritual side of ourselves, but how, how much is it going to be there when you're back in like the mix, you know, the mix of things. Um, so it was a strong, strong lesson for me. Um, so going back to the post, I was tired, worn out and frustrated with the system. I was forgetting all the spiritual techniques I had been practicing, but I honestly gained so much. I finally fucking let go of so many layers of spiritual superiority, which had been coaxing my ego for almost a decade. I found out that there were amazing people who chose a more mainstream life, who were balanced, loving, and centered, with great families and hardworking but rewarding lives, all without ever doing a yoga pose or drinking ayahuasca. They were already living what those yoga poses or that ayahuasca was meant to bring you. Either it, the mainstream, or I had changed because I no longer felt such a deep sense of unbelonging. I felt like everybody else, and I was okay with that. I was happy to be here facing life together on the ground in this reality. Every moment of reality can open up to the greatest spiritual depths and heights. You don't have to run from it or create fantasies. You can just practice facing what is real, here, and present inside of you. That's where I'm at these days. Extremely skeptical of new age spirituality because I've seen how it divides. 
extremely tired of feeding fantasies where the earth, when the earth herself is here filling our every need. <laughs> Ooh, more goosebumps, more, so many more. And as a village witch, um, and I call myself that colloquially. <laughs> awesome. uh, when people ask me what I do, I say I'm a village witch. Uh, mm -hmm. And more officially, I'm a trauma coach, but you know, less officially, I'm a, I'm a village witch. And being a village mm. witch means that you show up for what is needed. Does that mean that I'm making tea for someone who's just sharing something? Or does that mean that I'm interacting as someone who is so-called holding space? Or am I interacting as someone who's creating mm. a viewpoint of intervention? Like, how am I interacting, right? And that what I found more often than not is, is that as a, is, as a person who is in the village sharing this kind of work, the opportunity for other people to be powerful in their own right is really revealed when I, when I create a, like a normal hmm. of, of respect for both of our powers. I don't, hmm. I don't invite people into this space of like, you need to respect me more then you need to respect yourself or that you need to envision mm. or project upon me a power that you don't carry. Like I, I don't, I have a role that I'm playing and I I'm earning that through the, through playing it. Uh, nobody came with a magic wand and, you know, tapped me on the head in the forest. I mean, that would be a fun story, but that's not what happened. I, I got born with certain ways of being and, and I share from those certain ways of being. And I've also served tables and I've been equally like, <laughs> you know, equally at war with co-workers <laughs> over tables. I have been, I so relate to that, honestly. I, I was yeah, just, it's been yeah, a long time, but I, I were, it it's took fierce. me right back. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I wanted that section because the tips are way better. Oh. When I was when I was serving, they used to be able to smoke in restaurants. Oh. So you know, you always wanted to be in, in the smoking yeah, section because they tipped too, way right? more. Ordering. Smokers always uh, tipped more. Yeah, um, exactly. I could see that. They stayed way yeah. longer. They drank way more alcohol. Mm -hmm. So that's where that's where the good section is, right? That piece of like, can you be where you are and be who you are, yeah. where you are? Yeah. And where is your quote unquote love and light then? Because my mm. my point of view is always like where mm. show me where it's not holy show me where it's not sacred show me where it's not beautiful where it's, it doesn't have its complexity of beauty and i mean that's all about what you bring like if i don't if i don't love something or find it beautiful or find it complex hmm. or if i'm seeing it as just a preference that's what i've brought and so if i bring to a, an engagement with a client if I brought to me to the circle that I have more power other than to create a context that we're going towards and hold that space solid so they can have that experience. Mm. If I think that my power is greater than that, then I don't know what my power really is mm. and that I've created and brought to wow. that experience a deficit of power. Mm. I've said, I've said, you don't have enough power. I so I brought power. a deficit yeah. of power with me. I don't believe I that, love this clarity um, around what real is real power, people. you know, 
That's beautiful. Really beautiful. Because we don't we don't see we don't get many examples of real power. We really don't. So it's so beautiful to hear you say that. We're so addicted to powerlessness, really. Like we're so addicted yes, to powerlessness, yes. which takes which takes us back to that parental, like we're looking for a savior. It's mm. it's not me. It can't be me. And then we're bringing a deficit of power to the world by that statement. You know that people storming the capital are talking about a deficit of power. They're not talking about being powerful. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that we're creating what we believe deeply in our souls. And mm. um, I don't, I don't believe in enlightenment, honestly. Like I, I don't believe in that. I believe in moments of clarity and I believe in lots of confusion. Oh, I I'm loving this so much, Don. You have no idea. I'm like smiling over here. I'm getting chills with everything you're saying right now. This this thing also about enlightenment, I, I really relate. After seven to ten years of like thinking I was maybe on this path of enlightenment and then just really coming to terms with like, I don't even know what it is. And I don't even know if I want it. And I don't even know if I believe in it. And actually, what do I really want? I want to live the best life I can, mm. you know? I just want to be here, love the people in my world. And this comes back to kind of what I said in the post, like, put my hands in the earth, you know? Like, be here. This is why I'm here. Like, grow flowers and, and drink tea with people. And I don't know. Um, yeah, this is really speaking to me. Your words are so beautiful. Also about the village witch and this imagery that comes. I, I really love that. And um, I think I, I'm feeling so strongly this uh, freedom from these stories about what we need, who we should be, how things are supposed to be, what enlightenment is. We should be working towards enlightenment or purification or something. And there's such a freedom when you're just like, nope, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be here and drink my tea, and you know, hang out with people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So that's that's kind of the tone that I was including at the end of that post is where of where I'm at. It's just like, and I want to say as well for anyone that's listening, and I didn't really get a good chance to clarify this in that post, but. There's nothing, I'm not against yoga or drinking ayahuasca at all. That That's absolutely not. I also teach yoga. Um, my medicine work is highly valuable. And um, I think I'm speaking about a very subtle nuance that tends to happen when we reject and we, we, we reject maybe, it often happens with mainstream and new age communities. The new age often is rejecting the mainstream. And so I was just speaking to that tendency in the new age community to reject mainstream and how it worked for me was I kind of returned home, quote unquote, to mainstream life with a waitressing job and an apartment in LA and like nothing, like no breath work, no, no ayahuasca, nothing. I was just working. And while it was tough and I did miss a lot of elements in the spiritual life, quote unquote, what I gained was that um, equality that sense of equality, it was like so much better than feeling like you're better than other people, mm. <laughs> you know, which is a huge tendency on the spiritual path that can really happen unconsciously and without even realizing um, you start to feel a little bit better because you know this technique or that. And I just, I, I looking back while it was really tough because my ego was just crumbling. <laughs> it felt, it was just crumbling, you know, I was like, 
what happened? I thought I was, I thought <laughs> I was this great, you know, yoga divine feminine teacher or something. And, and, you know, I was just trying to get by in LA, you know, and uh, it was so humbling and gave me such a sense of equality. It also gave me a sense that I didn't need all that stuff unless I wanted it. And I do want it and I continue to work with it and teach it. But I don't want to teach people to um, forfeit their identities and create a new false identity. I just want it to just be a technique that's fun that you can do and make life a little better. Mm, it doesn't mm. have to be like make you make you better than others, you know? Yeah, it doesn't have to mm. be a peak experience yeah. every time. Like, like to me, that's just drug addiction, really. To, to be to be into the peak experience, like I need to have a peak <laughs> experience all the time. Like I need to have a breakthrough every single day. Actually, days are really ordinary and mundane. Like 99% of what we live is ordinary and mundane. And who are you in that space? Because mm, um, I love that. that space. If you're not enjoying that space, you're missing it. I feel what you're describing mm. is actually integration. Like you took your peak experiences and you integrated. You allowed for the mm. healing of yeah. all those places that were broken over by the lightning strike. You know, you allowed the, the, you know, the nutrition to seep into all those layers. And, and so then standing forward as this woman who's like, I'm loving myself in this argument I'm having over yeah. the better section. Like I, <laughs> I'm finding some dignity here. I'm finding some goodness here. And like, I, I was talking in my last um, and one of the interviews I did not too long ago, we were talking about developing a palette. Um, and and it's, it's actually uploaded if you want to check it out. It was the first episode that I put of The Witch's Diagnostic with Jen mm. Wheaton. She was talking about developing a palette uh, for pain. Um, and it's so it was so true. It's like if you have the ability to integrate grief, which is how we walk through the world, like mm. we're loving and grieving. You know, we're dancing those experiences, loving and grieving and like how beautiful that we get to offer ourselves to that experience. And it is it is breaking parts of us down. Some of us is dying always. Some of us gets to stand in the light and be in the glory. And like, who are we in that experience as we dance those experiences together? And who what does our body become? And how do we emerge? And we don't have to love it in the way that initiates necessarily positive ideas. We can feel it for how it is, and that's enough. And that is a palate. That's like I can take something bitter and taste it. I can taste take something sour and taste it. We get to have a palate for life. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm hearing your palate. I feel speechless. That was like, so, so beautiful. And, and actually, it's touching a, a point in me that's very deep in this exact moment too this this reality of there's always some loss happening alongside the beauty and the joy and the celebration it's so beautiful the way you just said it thank you oh alicia i feel like we could talk for hours sometime mm. in the future i'd love to talk to you about your women's work and and thematic work and <laughs> Um, so that you are known for more than a one beautiful post that you're known for all of your magic and um, or at least at least people can taste mm. whatever it is that you, you're bringing as opposed to just one post you've got Aww. lots and lots of complexity and 
And I can't wait to know more of your complexion. Oh, thank you that so much. I feel so blessed. And, and thank uh, you so much and, for reaching out and I to look me forward for to this that. opportunity. It, it really, I was blown away by the impact of this post. I had no idea mm. at all. I thought I might lose friends. And it turns out so many people feel the same way. And that just really, again, feeds my sense of community, you know. And uh, I'm really grateful that you gave me the opportunity to kind of speak about it a little more and mm -hmm. color in so much because you're right, it is complex. It is. It's so complex. And when we think just in black and white, simple terms, we lose a lot. So I'm so <laughs> grateful. And I've been so nourished by this conversation as well. Oh, ditto. Yeah, ditto. So good. <laughs> I believe I kind of vacillate between aliciajoanna.com and alishablecky.com. So anyway, if you type in either one of those, you'll find it. Um, as I said before, I offer women's retreats. Uh, we go to Sardinia every year in Italy, every year that it's possible. We have a retreat coming in September, hopefully. And there we get in touch with a land that has an ancient sacred uh, mother goddess worshiping culture. And we go to an ancient temple, water temple, and we do rituals and we just connect, we connect with the ancient culture in order to connect with our own inner feminine. Um, and it's really, really uh, much easier in a place like Sardinia where the land still carries such uh, vivid memories of uh, the time when a mother goddess was worshiped across all of Europe. And uh, so you're welcome to check out my retreats. And also I love doing my Hakomi coaching methodology where we kind of just connect and we, we learn to navigate your embodied experience, your inner world. Um, and it's amazing to see how the inner wisdom we all carry that I don't have to tell you anything. You have your own inner wisdom and we just need the space for that to open. So I love doing the individual coaching work as well with people. So feel free to reach out to me. And uh, yeah, I just, I look forward to more, <laughs> more with you, Dawn, and just more for what's to come in the future. Um, Yay, thank you so something. much, witchy woman. I love it. <laughs> thank you so much. Mm. You've been listening to The Witch's Diagnostic, hosted by Dawn Dancing Otter. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support our work, please uh, subscribe via patreon.com, uh, The Witch's Diagnostic, and subscribe at the various tiers, $5, $10, or $15 a month. Uh, those at the uh, premier or VIP tiers will be... Uh, given the opportunity to have some exclusive content on Patreon. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for subscribing and supporting our work.